Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, last week, we started reading together uh, about the life of the Apostle Peter. Uh, but if you uh, were here last week, you might remember that I suggested what we're really reading about is what the steadfast love of Jesus does to Peter. Uh, what it works in him, what it calls him to, uh, what the steadfast love of Jesus can make of someone like Peter. Uh, Peter's the one disciple in the Gospels that we know the most about, and that means, not coincidentally, that he also happens to be the disciple in whom people like us can see ourselves most clearly reflected. So it is a deeply hopeful thing, I think, to see Jesus with Peter because it points to what Jesus' love might do for us. So I'm going to read from Matthew 14 this morning. I'll read verses 22 through 33. It's printed in the order of worship, and you can follow along there if you want. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you... Command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, The wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me uh, pray for us. Father, we ask that as we uh, think about this word that we just uh, read together and heard together, as we talk about it for the next few minutes, that you you would uh, meet us and that you would do what we just sang uh, that you would do, and that we would find it to actually happen, that you would give our jaded senses light, that you would shine light into any dark places in our lives that need your presence, that need your healing, that need your grace, your forgiveness. Father, use this word maybe to uh, call someone to you, to faith in your son for the first time, or maybe to come back after a long time away. And Father, we ask that maybe uh, for those of us who are in faith, who who do walk and follow your son Jesus, that you would strengthen us so that we wouldn't uh, be like that that person that James was talking about who's unstable and double-minded. Help us to abide and remain. Father, we ask that you would do all of this uh, in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, our oldest daughter, Ellie, was home for a couple days this week, uh, and the other night after dinner, uh, Allison and I and Ellie decided to watch something together on TV. I was surprised. 
uh, at how quickly we settled on a show was two votes uh, against one. And over the protests of Allison, we ended up watching a show called Running Wild with Bear Grylls, colon, The Challenge. <laughs> Running Wild with Bear Grylls, The Challenge. Uh, if you don't know who Bear Grylls is, he is a survivalist and an adventurer who has made a television career for himself out of putting, him, putting himself in really bad spots and then surviving them. <laughs> uh, he's nuts, but he's also insanely uh, talented. Anyhow, this is how that particular show was described, and I promise you that I am not making this description up. This was the description of the show. Bear Grylls is taking it up a level by teaching his celebrity guests survival skills that they'll have to master and then prove they can use in a high-stress situation. And I'm not too proud to admit that I was the one who picked the episode we ended up watching, Ashton Kutcher in the coastal jungles of Costa Rica. And the show uh, was pretty much as described. Bear took Ashton on a two-day hike through the jungle in which they had to do increasingly difficult tasks. And it was clear from the very start of the show that the last challenge, the one that they were going to have to do before they were extracted from the jungle uh, would be the toughest of the challenges. This thick rope had been extended 80 feet across a gorge that was 300 feet deep. And I'll be honest with you, uh, it was a genuinely very frightening thing to look at. Of course, they had a safety line attached. But even with that line attached, it was a physically challenging, grueling thing to do. And of course, there is no safety line that's ever been made that can counteract that deeply visceral human response, that response that naturally and compulsively comes to the surface when you look down and you consider that you're hanging 300 feet in the air with nothing underneath you. I put myself in Ashton's situation. I told Allison and Ellie, that in a hundred million lifetimes, I don't think I could ever do that. I think the fear would be paralyzing. And the story that we just read together is about that. It is about Peter first, of great faith, and then right away, about Peter of little faith, paralyzed by fear sinking into the deep. But even more than that is a story about Jesus with his hand stretched out, pulling Peter out of the water. This is a story about how fear can affect your faith and mine and make it waver and falter. And it is a story about how Jesus hauls people like you and me up by the hand all of the time. So this all happens at the end of a very long and very surprising day. Matthew tells us that earlier that morning Jesus had taken a boat by himself uh, in order to try to find some desolate place somewhere along the shore of the Sea of Galilee so that he could be alone. Presumably he wanted to be alone to pray, but Matthew doesn't tell us, probably because that is not how the story worked out. That isn't what happened. The crowds somehow figure out where Jesus is headed that day. They follow along on the shore, and they meet Jesus on the shore. When he gets out of the boat, he does not greet them with frustration over thwarting his plans. He greets them with compassion. He healed their sick, 
Matthew says. And he taught them, and then he fed them, all of them, thousands of them, with a couple loaves of bread and, and a few fish. It's the only one of Jesus' miracles that all four of the Gospels tell us about. And the Gospel writer John says that after Jesus did that, the people wanted to take him by force and make him their king. So Jesus slipped away somehow, and he makes good on that plan that he had tried to pull off so many hours before that morning. Matthew says he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. But he did that not before doing something, something that is really, really important to notice. Before he dismissed the crowds, before he slipped away to the top of that mountain, he made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side. So that's the setup. That is how Jesus has arranged this fateful night. Jesus, for his part, is praying. The disciples, for their part, are rowing. And they find themselves in a very hard place. The boat, Matthew tells us in verse 22, was a long way from land, a long way from the shore, beaten by the waves because the wind was against them. So let's say Jesus dispersed the crowds after he fed them at sundown. Let's just say that. Now it is the fourth watch, which is between 3 and 6 a.m. That means that the disciples have been rowing into a headwind for something like nine hours. That is a very, very bad situation, even for experienced fishermen like some of them were. The size, the location of the lake at Galilee made it really susceptible to violent squalls, squalls that would start suddenly, and that appears to be what they're caught in. The physical exertion, just think of it, the physical exertion of being awake all day, that adrenaline rush, and then the adrenaline withdrawal that had come being a part of that wild miracle that Jesus had done in feeding thousands of people, and then hours of rowing, hours of rowing, no doubt had begun to take a toll on their bodies. Probably some of them have checked out, unable to continue, and that physical agony, no doubt, has begun for some of them to give over to fear. They have nothing left. They are at the end of their ropes, and on top of all of this, on top of all of this, they know Jesus is the one who told us to do this. So this is one of the profound truths of our faith, church, and I don't know how to say it any clearer than this. Sometimes Jesus sends his people into hard things. Sometimes Jesus sends people like you and me into really hard things. Stanley Hauerwas, uh, who's a theologian who taught for many years at, at Duke Divinity School, <clears throat> he draws on some of the images, actually, that we talked about last week, and this is the way that he says it. The church is the ark of the kingdom, but often the church finds herself far from the shore <laughs> and threatened by strong winds and waves. They are meant to be far from the shore. To be threatened by a storm is not unusual. If the church is faithful, she will always be far from shore. 
And to that I would only add that what's true for us uh, collectively as a people, as a church, is also often true for us as individuals. Simon Peter and the other disciples in that boat had gotten into the mess that they were in because they had done precisely what Jesus told them to do. And I don't know the precise hard thing that Jesus may have called you into, but I do know that this is what he does. Faith sometimes looks like being a, a, a long way from land. Our walk of faith following after Jesus looks like sometimes like we're a long way from shore. We're beaten by the waves. It's the fourth watch, and we are completely exhausted. Maybe he has called you into some task or into some work or into some season that you know that you are suited for and gifted for, but it takes a great deal out of you. Maybe he's called you to love some people, to care for some people who do not reciprocate that love and care. In fact, they don't even seem to notice what it is that you are doing. Maybe he's called you to put off a sin or to put off an addiction. And some days it doesn't feel anything like freedom to you. It feels like rowing into a storm by yourself for hours on end. Or maybe he's called you to put on something, put on some virtue or pray more or just be quiet for a little bit and listen for his voice and you do it. And when you do it, it feels like you're getting kicked in the teeth or worse than that, it feels like you're not hearing anything at all. That's not always how it is to follow Jesus, but it sure is sometimes. And I'll tell you what can happen in those times. It is easy to get afraid. It is easy to feel fear. It is easy to think, maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe he's out to get me. Maybe he doesn't even care. Maybe I'm just a fool out here by myself. And if you've ever been in that place, and if you have ever thought those things, or if that is where you are right now this morning as you breathe in this place, then let me point out that strange figure making his way across the water to meet you right now. He is aware of exactly what it is that's happening with you, and he is making his way to you precisely because those things are happening. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. <laughs> and of course, you know, there's nothing that really could have prepared them for this. They're terrified, and it is easy to know why they are terrified, because people don't walk on water. So the only possible thing that they can think, the only possible thing that they can say that will make whatever this insanity is that they're seeing recede back into something even remotely normal is what they say. It's a ghost. It has to be a ghost because it certainly can't be a human being. But Jesus squashes that idea. As Matthew says, immediately he gives them that beautiful triple word of comfort. Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Cheer up. It's me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. When have we heard Jesus say that before? <laughs> 
Well, for many of us, it might have been last week when we read together about that time when Jesus borrowed Simon Peter's boat and there was this great catch of fish and Simon realized that things with Jesus were not exactly what he, he thought they were. When Simon realized that Jesus was not exactly who he thought he was. And he felt the haze of his incomplete self. He, he felt the haze of his sinful, broken self. And he felt it clinging to him like a wet garment. He felt all of that stuff. And he knew in that moment that Jesus knew. He knows. He knows who I really am. And you remember what Peter did then? He fell on his face in a pile of fish. He begged Jesus to get away from him. He felt vulnerable. He felt profoundly unsafe. And he was terrified. And do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I think holding that picture in our heads, that picture of that Peter, holding that one in our heads as we take in what happens next will help us to see something profoundly hopeful and I think profoundly useful for our own life of faith because the Peter, the Peter who desperately begged Jesus to get away from him, that Peter, now all he wants to do is run across the sea to meet him. That Peter, the Peter who wanted no claim to Jesus, who wanted no stake in Jesus, who wanted no part at all of Jesus' life, now wants nothing more than to jump into the chaos and embrace him. Which is another way of saying that the steadfast love of Jesus has already started to change Peter. It had already started making him into a new man, into a guy as, as sinful and as broken and as incomplete and as faltering as he is. It had made him into a guy who started believing that maybe there's hope for somebody like me. Maybe that I, I could be forgiven. Maybe following Jesus despite myself could make something of me for the life of the world. <laughs> Lord, if it's you... <laughs> If it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I mean, it is the most ridiculous thing. And at the very same time, church, it is a monumental token. It is a monumental token of the kind of trust that I wish we could all have all of the time. It is a, a shining marker of what the steadfast love of Jesus can do to a person like Peter and like me and like you. And don't miss this, church. Please don't miss this. Don't miss this at all. If you hear this story a thousand more times in your life, then remember this part of the story every one of those thousand times. Jesus commends it. He commends this ridiculous faith that Peter has. He commends it. He blesses it. He affirms it. He celebrates it. Come on in, Peter. The water is fine. <laughs> and that is Peter of great faith. That's the guy who has his eyes set on Jesus and who knows that Jesus means nothing but good for him. That's Cephas right there. That's the rock. That's the guy who would walk into hell alone if Jesus wanted him to. And don't think for a minute. Don't think for a minute that we're not supposed to see that and love it. 
That's what the steadfast love of Jesus can do for people. Believe that because it's absolutely true, church. And it lasted, I don't know, for like three seconds. (laughs) A couple of steps. Just a few paces for Peter, the water strider. (laughs) But he saw the wind and he was afraid. He's afraid again. And that fear, as Jesus points out, makes him doubt. Maybe, maybe this is a bad idea. Maybe I am a fool out here by myself. Maybe I'm getting kicked in the teeth for no reason at all. Maybe I can't trust him to have my good in mind. One second, he's Peter of great faith, high stepping above the waves. The next second, the very next second, he is Peter of little faith. His neck wet with the spray of the white caps, sinking fast. And you see this again and again in Scripture, church, especially in the Gospels. Fear is a corrosive to faith. All kinds of fear. Fear of other people and their opinions. Fear of not living up to some weird standard that we've placed on ourselves or some weird standard that someone else has placed on us that has absolutely nothing to do with the values of the Christian faith. Fear that we won't be admired like we want to be admired. Fear that we won't amount to whatever goofy thing we need, think we need to amount to. Or maybe it's that primal fear that we feel. It's that primal fear that we fear. The one the serpent slipped like poison into the hearts of our first parents. Fear that we can't really trust him. Fear that he's holding out on us. And that fear causes us to doubt And we take our eyes off Jesus. And then as soon as that happens, we start to think that this whole thing, this whole thing, it's all up to us. All of our life and all of our way inside this life, it's all up to us. The burden of self-justification, the impossible weight of self-belonging, our name, our purpose, our work, our validation, our meaning in this world. All of that stuff falls on our shoulders at once and we sink like stones and we start doing all of this crazy stuff and we start twisting into all kinds of crazy contortions just so we can get our head back above water and just take one breath. Well, here's the thing. (laughs) Jesus is still standing there effortlessly, full of grace, in the middle of all that chaos. He's still there. And he's still saying, don't be afraid. He walked through all of that chaos already. Whatever chaos you have ever faced or feel right now, he's walked through all of it. He's left it powerless and he has left it impotent. That is what his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension mean. He did that in love for people like us. And he never grows tired and he never grows weary of reaching into the waves and pulling out people like Peter and you and me. When we say, Lord, save me. Save me from all of this. If we uh, follow Jesus, 
And really, that's our part in this thing. We stay near to him. That's our part. We stay close to him. If we follow Jesus, we will spend our whole lives learning and living this again and again. And Jesus will meet us again and again with the grace that both forgives us and changes us into the people that he means us to be. He will weaken our fear and he will strengthen our faith and he will bring us safely home. Because his steadfast love knows no end. Stay near him. Abide with him. Let me pray for us. Help us to have the ear of faith, Father, so that we can hear Jesus just as clearly as he still is speaking it in this moment, to not be afraid. And help us, Father, when we fear to cry out again and again without shame, save me. Father, help us to believe that this is who Jesus is, the one who died and who has risen for us, seated at your right hand, whose hand is strong to save. Father, help us to believe this so that we'll grow up, so that we'll mature in our faith, so that our our faith will be strengthened, and so that we can be a people uh, through whom you can love this broken world. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.